You're listening to Metal Matters, the official weekly Gimme Metal podcast. This week we have John Zazula. Now, he is one of the OGs in thrash metal. Everyone hears about those early days of the early 80s, late 70s, the Old Bridge Metal Militia, Megaforce Records, Rock and Roll Heaven. You'll find John at the center of all this stuff. And he has a brand new book that just came out this year called Heavy Tales. I got a chance to talk with John. It was great. I'd been looking forward to our conversation as soon as I was able to book this, and it was a lot of fun. So check it out. Congratulations on Heavy Tales. Uh, the the hard the book is out, like the actual print copy. But is is the audio version of the book out yet? The audio version actually came out. July 21st. Okay. Uh, it didn't come out in its physical form. That doesn't happen till October 22nd. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. But the you could go to Audible right now or you go to Amazon and you can pick up the audio copy of the, uh, of the audio version of the book. The actual physical seven CD set it is, by the way. Damn. Yeah, that's going to be available, as I said, October 22nd. I wish I could even, there's not even a pre-sale or anything. It's just going to come out, bang, it's out, and that's the end of it, unless we do a movie or something, which I'm, I'm sure will happen when I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an epic uh, listen, man. I'm excited. I, I um... I definitely want to check out the audio version of it. Uh, do, do you do you read that? How are you doing all the reading on the audio version as well? I did the whole storytelling on the audio version. Damn. That's the only a... the only places where you don't have me is, for instance, the instance the forward is done by Chuck Billy right. from Testament, my good friend, and he tells it, and then uh, Marsha tells the epilogue and. My co-writer, uh, Harold Claros Maldonado, has certain things he wants to say at the end of the book. And he, instead of leaving it written or me reading his part, he does his own part, too. That sounds cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's, that's awesome, man. It's, uh, you know, I'm a huge Testament fan, and um, you know, that, that's great that Chuck Billy is involved in that. Um, yeah, Chuck so- is uh, very close. So what was the, um, the motivation for putting this all down? I mean, it's an important story. Uh, did you start working on this like over the course of years, or was this just something that popped into your head one day to do? Well, in, uh, I think in 19, I released the book, so I must have written it in, from, 18, from 2018 into 2019. 
I, I basically wrote the book. It's a story that had to be told. Nobody really could believe, you know, how this story of Metallica even came to be and Megaforce Records and all that. You know, it, it was a little story I felt worth telling, you know, a big story worth telling. And I wanted to get as much facts out as I can remember because my memory is going. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. It's uh, that happens to us all, man. The the, the past becomes uh, very blurry at times. Really blurry. <laughs> um, I I couldn't even put together that discography at the end of the book. It's so huge and unbelievable. I I didn't believe it when I looked at it. I said, I we did that. When I say we, you know, I'm always talking about Marsha Z and me because that was the partnership I write about and tell about in the audio book. And in the book, you know, she was a good partner, still is. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually something I wanted to ask you about, just um, how cool that was. You know, it's like uh, these, especially coming out of like, you know, being in uh, something that's kind of on the outside of society, especially back in, um, you know, in that time period, late 70s, early 80s, uh, finding like uh, a lady to be with. Uh, that understood where you were coming from and was also shared the same passion for music and getting things done. That's rare, you know, and I'm sure you go into that in the book, but uh, that, that must have been really cool. It was very, very cool because I'm a madman. And to have someone put up with me is uh, an impossible dream, actually, especially in those days when we would get home from shows that were sold out, but I forgot to pay my electric bill and the house would be in the dark, you know? <laughs> yeah. Little things like that. Little things like that. And so, uh, go ahead. Now, one of the things uh, that I always, I always like meditate on is that, uh, you know, being into metal, extreme music, you know, punk, hardcore stuff that's been considered uh, not necessarily mainstream for a long time. Uh, there's like a certain type of fan, you know, a certain type of guy gets into that stuff and, and, and woman um, where you don't grow out of it. You know what I mean? Where people uh, go through phases in their life. But if you're into metal, you know, heavy metal, like hard rock, that kind of thing, you, that follows you through your entire life. Like, I mean, I've met people that, you know, work, professional jobs like you know executives like whatever and then you you mentioned slayer or you mentioned metallica or you mentioned anthrax and suddenly they're they're 18 years old again so what about this type of music attracted you and marcia into this world well first of all you have to remember the players in these bands are great right you have there the bands that have made it there are no real lousy musicians in them. You know, they're great players. It's like being in the Wild West with Wyatt Earp and all those guys, you know, Bat Masterson and all them, you know, all gunslingers that, and their guitars or their drumsticks or their vocals or their guns. And it's all perfected. You know, what makes metal special is that metal is foreground music. You have two kinds of music in my book. You have background music and you have foreground music. Well, when you listen to metal, you're not kicking back in, in a Zen zone. You know, you're actively participating in it, listening to the licks, listening to the guitar, listening to the vocals. And 
you become addicted to it. And that addiction will last you your lifetime because a metal fan is a metal fan for his life or her life. It's not like you fall in and out of a one-hit wonder on the radio, you know? Yeah, exactly. Definitely. So so what was it about the music and stuff? I mean, that, you know, specifically, did you start listening to like Zeppelin and then, because there's that transitional period between like hard rock, then there was like new wave of British heavy metal, <laughs> and then there was like thrash, and somewhere in there, there was that like speed metal, which was like kind of new wave yeah. of British heavy metal, and then... We were involved, Marsha and I were involved in, in, in almost all the medals that happened right out of 1981, 82. Right. You know, the thrash, the speed metal, the power metal, you know, those medals. Uh, we were very heavily in, in, involved with. Uh, before that, you know, it's really funny. I recorded a song that's a real piece of crap uh, called Metal Rap by the lone rager and the lone rager tells the history of metal from cream to metallica it was recorded in 1983 and it talks about every band in the world practically that was metal that was worth their weight in anything and uh i talk about the fact that i was so into cream led zeppelin you know jeff beck group you know, I wasn't so crazy about the America stuff. I wasn't a big wango tango guy. Yeah, totally. You know, but I, I did, I did love Rainbow and I did love Scorpions when that all started and Sabbath and I went nuts with Iron Maiden, you know, and uh, it was really bands like Angel Witch, Motorhead, Raven, a big component in the game that really turned me on to this whole new wave of of metal that would change my life, that would Marsh and I would get involved with, that would change other people's lives as well. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that uh, America and metal and hard rock. It's almost like, you know, back in uh, when I when I was a young kid in the late seventies, early eighties, I almost expected to hear a British accent whenever I heard of a metal band like or, or, or the Scorpions or Accept or something like that, Germans. Like I never associated right. w um, like that type of music with it, with the United States right away, you know? And no, like and what did you have, Van Halen? That's not really metal, you know? No. Uh, Pat Travers? More rock and roll. You know? Yeah. Like rock and roll, like hard rock kind of stuff. But, well, you know, like you think about... That kind of stuff... You know, Kiss was the most fun, you know, and, and I was not a big Kiss head, believe it or not. I always tell everybody I was not. I was more involved even with the early British stuff. Yeah, I, I kind of fall on that side of the fence, too, though I, I appreciate Kiss and, you know, I, I mean, I'm definitely a fan. But Oh, my, yeah. Yeah, you know, but my interests slide similar to what you were talking about, like the more, you know, Scorpions accept you know, Judas Priest, New Wave of British Heavy Metal. Oh, yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. I was a big, big accept head. Big accept head. I played those albums from the beginning of time to finally, what was that album? Restless and Wild. Oh, that's a classic record, man. That's like, it's got Fast as a Shark on it. Fast as a Shark on it and Princess of the Night. And, you know, great, great, great stuff. I used to play that in my store. 
And and you know what I love too. Uh, it wasn't like that, but I was a big fan of Michael Shanker. Whatever Michael did. MSG, that first Scorpions record, UFO, like all that kind oh of stuff. Oh my God! Yeah. Huh? Great Fantastic. stuff. Great stuff. Great stuff. Yeah. So Great let's stuff. let's put a little set and setting uh, around this book. Uh, you know, Megaforce Records, one of the most important labels for this sort of emerging style of music and all these bands and gave a home to a bunch of different, um, you know, artists that might not have ever gotten any kind of attention. You know what I mean? So, right. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, uh, you're based in uh, Jersey. Are you originally from New Jersey? Well, I was born in the Bronx and I moved to New Jersey from Westchester. Okay. And I lived in New Jersey for about 20 years so i spent a good time of my life in new jersey and i'm sure you get into all these details in the book but uh you, oh you know, yeah there was the, everything uh, you know you tell the whole story but some of the key spots uh you know anyone who's a fan of metallica uh is aware of the old bridge metal militia you know and Rock and Roll heaven and the legendary shows that happened and you were at you guys are at this at the the center of this whole this whole operation. Absolutely, it all revolved around Marsha and me. Now back, you know, then, I mean, it was sorry. Go ahead, man. It was all focused on on breaking Metallica and Raven, and we were working with Anvil a bit at the time. But you know, I mean, that's where the real lightning was focused on on those bands, but. All everything that was going on, everything, literally, musically, show-wise, image-wise, art-wise, everything going on, posters, marketing, was all coming out of our house. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's what it's all about, man. It's like I, I also, aside from being a big metalhead, I'm also also into like the punk, punk rock, and hardcore and. Oh, yeah. I always found that the two styles of music, though, were definitely not on the same page. There was a lot of similarities between the do-it-yourself attitude of early thrash, speed metal, and that whole emerging scene than what bands like Black Flag and, you know, SST Records were doing. It was all very Well, what do you think I learned from? What do you think I learned from? So you were, you were into that kind of stuff, too? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, punk to me was like uh, in the beginning was like gbh and uh, oh i can't even think right now but you know the bands that came out of that era you know i was into the the pistols which isn't hardcore but it, you know i was into that to start it off but i i was a big uh oh my god i have such you know black flag of course i like but i'm talking about after that discharge you know, and, and the stuff that came sort of in the New York hardcore scene. Oh, yeah, Chromags, Agnostic Front. Chromags, you, know. uh, you know, that kind of stuff was really, really great. Uh, I'm trying to think of one band that I really, really love, but I, I, can't, I, I can't think of their name. I'm having a blank. I'm sorry, Mike. Oh, it's okay. Well, the New York hardcore stuff, if you're a metal fan, uh, I mean, that's, uh, I know crossover happened a little bit later on, but like, if you want to talk about maybe the, the prototype for crossover music, 
you, you can't look any further. You can't look past the Chromags and like you know the early AF stuff and and a lot of those agnostic. Bands, absolutely, you know, you know it's it's great, great stuff. Great, great stuff. It's the precursor, and you know we brought it all around and connected everything with Stormtroopers of Death. Yes, absolutely. I thought that was an incredible, incredible marriage. Actually, uh, the first SOD record, um, we put that on the sh this show that I'm interviewing for as uh, one of our classic records. I did a whole episode on that uh, SOD record, so that, that was really cool. Yeah. yeah, that was one of my favorites ever. So the record store, Rock and Roll Heaven. Um, yeah. Now, from what I've heard on the street, that you, you got uh, an incredible record collection. Now... Well, I had. You had, okay. <laughs> well, you had slash have had a legendary record collection. So now, were these two things related? Like, how did you get into the record store, like retail kind of thing? You know, was it obviously well, the love of music? But... I was always a record collector. I had everything, you know, Butcher Baby covers, two or three of them, you know. Uh, Bruce Springsteen... Uh, Darkness at the what was it Darkness at the edge, at the of, edge whatever of town? It was. Yeah, you know, picture disc inside the normal cover rather than the vinyl. Now people had picture discs, but there were certain picture discs that were worth a lot of money. That was one, and there was the Sad Wings of Picture of, of Destiny, uh, Judas Priest picture disc from England that was very valuable. But I had almost every picture disc that was worth anything in the world, seven inch and twelve. I had all the promo copies. I have Led Ze had Led Zeppelin. Uh, uh, I don't know what song. Maybe Communication Breakdown. Uh, White Label. You know, I mean, stuff like that. It was, you know, Fire Covers, the cover with Leonard Skinner, you know, before they changed the cover when they went down in the airplane. You know, uh, just all kinds of stuff. Thousands and th over 10,000. Now, uh, is there any prize entries into this collection that you have that you really just can't live without? Was there anything special that you, ha you hung on to all these years? I have to be honest. I could lose everything in my life, every record. But I think Kill em All, uh, I have three mints for the kids. You know, uh, that record is, could be one of the starting points for a lot of people. You know, that's like an incredibly important record. And, um, you know, especially with like younger, younger guys that are involved in music, they oftentimes they talk about Kill 'Em All as being like the beginning for them, you know. It was a revelation. It was quite a, quite a thing when it happened, you know. It was magical, total magic. So uh, in addition to... You kind of were like a one-stop shop. You had, you guys were doing the label, you were managing bands, and you had the Rock and Roll Heaven retail spot promoting shows, okay? Right. What were some of the, besides from Metallica, there's a, a whole laundry list of other artists that you, you guys worked with, and you want to give like a quick annotated rundown of some of the more notable people that you guys worked with? Well, Metallica was the first, but it came with, at the same time as Raven. And Raven came, and then there was Merciful Fate. 
who we broke in the United States. We did the Man of War Into Glory Ride album. Uh, let's see what else we did. Ace Freely. Uh, Freely's Comet. Freely's Comet, yeah. Trouble Walking. Uh, King's X. We had King's X. Uh, we had Warren Haynes, who has gone on to be uh, quite the man with his with his government mule, and you know he was the he was the you know the guitarist of the Allman Brothers, and uh, wrote for Garth Brooks. That was a very interesting signing, Warren Haynes. But in metal, you have Testament, you have Overkill, you have Violence. You have just so many, plus the ones I gave you. I think that's a mighty list, no? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's uh, you know that that's like a lot of a lot of people will, will cite some of those bands as being why they started listening to metal or why they started playing in their own bands. In my opinion, you know, that's absolutely correct. And three, three of the bands are in the top five of the Thrash Five. You know, yeah. Anthrax, Metallica, and Testament. Overkill just knocking on the door of that pack. So, uh, you know, it's... Yeah, we we have quite a history, yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one, one other thing, which a lot of... Just to bring people that are younger up to speed with how difficult right. this might have been. Uh, you know, these days, like for the last 20-something years, we have the internet and... Um, you can email people. You can find contact information pretty easily. But back then, it was print media. Uh, you had to have like a phone number or an address for somebody to actually get things done. And a lot of the um, artists that you mentioned were from all over the country, all over the world. So right. What was the, the way, the, the, the mechanism that you actually were able to, to coordinate all this stuff. You know, and I'm sure you get into this in the book in a lot more detail, but... Well, no. You know, Mike, I, I really don't talk about... I go into the details about a lot of what we did in marketing and promo. But, but what you have to realize is that if you wanted bands to be stars and perceived of as being big, you had to do extraordinary things. Now, an extraordinary thing is for a band on any other label, they got an eighth of a page or a mention or an interview in a magazine, like in Europe, Krang magazine, the metal magazine. Right. Or in Cream in the United States. What we would do is we would not expect to get anybody to write an article about our bands because nobody would even pick up the phone. But they would take our money for a full page ad. And we paid it thousands of dollars. Some of those ads, we would tell you all about the band. Some of those ads, we would put full page with all the bands on Megaforce and one big power ad. But when an album came out, all over the world, you saw full and half page color ads of the album. Like it just came out on Columbia or RCA or Electra. You know, we made it look like, oh, my God, look what's coming. And the word got out that this was special and the music never stank. We never put out an album in those early days that that would not blow your mind that we weren't behind and told you about. 
You yeah, know? That, that's actually a pretty genius way of doing it, especially in in uh, looking back to how other people did it. You know, and uh, I got to say, even from firsthand experience, the ad the way of doing those ads worked on me as a young kid because um, I would buy records. You know, I, well, first of all, I had to find the records, and then when I found them, I had to buy them because uh, I wasn't, uh, you know, I was a kid, so I didn't have like a bank account where I could mail order stuff or, you know, tell my there parents. There wasn't any mail order. Yeah, you know what I mean? And it was back then, so you had to actually find these in a record store. But I would buy records by bands because I saw the name of the band in an ad, and it was next to other bands that I was familiar with. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's like an association, you know? That's exactly correct. And when we did shows, we didn't do one-liners in a strip ad of a club. We started with quarter pages. We then went to half pages. Then we went to full pages. And when the show was playing that week, we took the centerfold of the newspaper and took the whole thing and made it look like the circus was coming to town. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And that's where the money went, into advertising. So management and running the label, did that go hand in hand or, you know? <clears throat> I wished it was never hand in hand. I wish I could have always yelled at a record company to do the things we did, but they would never do them. And as much as we did and as much as bands appreciated it, it was never enough. So we got yelled at as management and record company because no one's ever happy. Yeah. As great as the bands are becoming, no one's ever happy. They always think it could be better for them. So we had to deal with that for 20, 30 years, 20 years. It's easier to, to have a label that's great and doing things for you, and you just spend the money and market it. Yeah, it wasn't the, case. The, the double whammy of being the manager and then also having to like come, you know, come through a lot of these things must have been a, a pretty hard burden to bear. It was really hard. I mean, it was really great that we managed to get Island Records to put out Anthrax because we acted more like the manager there and let Island be the record company. And Island depended on us to do the marketing for them. So it always was right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So obviously the, the business end of music has changed quite a bit over the last couple of decades and uh yes do you have do you have any thoughts on that i mean it's a completely different world right now and uh you know have any any uh commentary on that well you may hear my dog barking in the background by the way he's in every interview <laughs> it's important uh, you got to have him represented too my 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 doggies the industry has changed and i think it, the artists are getting the real short end of the stick right now and they're not getting paid enough for Spotify and all these things. And I hope it changes. I'm kind of happy I'm not involved. I'm kind of sad I'm not involved because I miss it very much. But it's a very dark world right now. And I'm just fortunate that I am watching it rather than being part of it right now. However, when it's rolling again, I will say I wish I could be doing it again but I really don't have it in me anymore by the way Mike I'm done yeah it's it's uh somehow the the the, the sort of uh the man for lack of a better term always finds a way to come out on top man even like 
you know, back in the day, like in the early, in the late nineties, I think the, um, Lars Ulrich came out against, uh, what, what was that platform where everyone was like stealing music? Um, anyway, when everyone was started downloading music for free, there was this, oh, well, you know, we're getting ripped off. And then the record labels who were behind him originally, they found their own way to get with the program and figure out another way of not paying yeah, musicians. It's, <laughs> you know, it's like it's really terrible. ironic. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. It's absolutely horrible. I think that these companies should go to jail for their deals, especially the old deals. They should all be amended right now. It's it's like that's from time immemorial, man. I mean, even the whole thing with like royalties goes way back to like just exploit exploiting like blues artists and you know people in R and B and early rock and roll. They, so they didn't even get paid for their European sales. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, just to get a car and be told, look what you got—a car. While the record company's making a million dollars, you know, oh, those days were murder. Yeah. That mentality, though, just seems to keep getting propagated forward, man. And and you know, it's oh yeah, Mike, one, you got it. One of the only you jobs, one of the only jobs you don't you do, but you don't get paid for. You know. <laughs> well, you know, there is a payday, I believe, at the end of every rainbow of hard work. I I believe this will sort itself out. Uh, the royalty situations. Uh, I just believe it has to. I can't believe people could just sit back and take it. I just saw something about Peter Frampton, like 20 gazillion things, and he made $1,500 or something. Yeah. I don't know what that was, but there were some numbers I saw that just blew my mind. Some successful acts selling gazillion downloads, making nothing, streams. And I, I just said, How, how's everybody living? It's all the live concerts. If you don't have a live concert, you're in trouble. And look at this. You can't have live concerts now. It's insane. Yeah, that, that's the worst part about it is that, uh, you know, touring, especially for metal, has always been the bread and butter. I mean, t- selling, right. selling merchandise and doing shows right. and tours. And now everything's at a standstill. And even when things come back, hopefully soon, sooner than later, uh, you know, a partial capacity venues, um, they're not going to be the guarantees. They're not going to be the attendance. They're not the merch sales are all going to be down. So this whole thing is going to be like uh, repercussions for a while, I believe, unfortunately. Yeah, it's going to go for quite a while. I mean, Marshall and I did something Saturday night that was fantastic. We went to that Metallica drive-in. I was going to ask you about that, actually. That's one of my questions here, if you check that out. We did check it out, and it was fun. There was a whole new way of throwing horns because between every song, after every song, instead of applauding, everybody was honking their horns. That's you awesome. Know, that gave a whole new meaning to horns. And it was amazing that during the when it got dark on the set and they were playing in the dark and the lights were going, all the cars were flashing their lights to the beat. And some guy next to me really had it together. It looked like I had my own private light show with his lights. It was perfect to laws, you know, <laughs> and that's and that's not easy, you know. So uh, it was uh, it was a fun, fun night. And they did some jams that were really, really good and really smart. It, it was a real thinking man's set. 
Very good. And I'm not saying that because I, I could say anything I want about Metallica, good or bad. They've been keeping me on my good side of my meter for a long, long time now. <laughs> you know? That's like one of the things that's actually kind of cool about this. Well, you know, one of the few things that's cool about it is this uh, resurgence of going to the drive-in, which is, uh, you know, I haven't been to a drive-in since I was a kid and I would go with my parents and uh, it, we would always go see some kind of like weird offbeat, like horror film or something like that. And uh, in my adult life, I think I'd like to go back and check out driving, watching movies at drive-ins again, you know? Well, that's what's happening by me. Yeah, it's out in Pennsylvania. Yeah, there's a place in... I live in Jersey, so... Oh, I no, I'm not in Pennsylvania anymore. I'm in Florida. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, but I know there's a couple of theaters and a couple of drive-ins in Pennsylvania. There's some stuff in South Jersey, and uh, I live oh, in Jersey. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, I, they're starting to show movies that Metallica film played, uh, re, I think, uh, when it opened. There's a, there's a South Jersey drive-in that showed it, and... um. Yeah, so I, I, I want to get I want to start checking checking these things out as an adult. You know? Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. You know, you turn on your radio inside the car and there's your sound now. Yeah. Uh, back to the book real quick. Um, oh, yeah, the yeah, book. I just <laughs> uh, one of the things that I think is really cool just in general about all these books that are coming out is that this this era of music is, is as important in the history of music as like, you know, jazz or, or, you know, rockability or rock and roll or blues or um, all the stories that you would read about guys like John Coltrane and Miles Davis. Now, like the, the literary world, for lack of a better term, the documentation of these different eras in music is catching up. And, you know, Megaforce Records, you know, uh, Metallica, King Diamond, you know, Merciful Fate, all this stuff is becoming part of the rich history of, of music, the of popular yes, music. Yes, it is. You know, and, yes, and this is. book is like a, a pretty critical entry into that world because it, it tells of a very special time. And Megaforce Records, one of the labels that has given the world some of the greatest heavy metal, hard rock, speed metal bands, you know, thrash metal bands in history. And um, yeah, I just want to congratulate you on this whole thing, and it's it's pretty awesome. And um, how did you connect with the publishing company to do this? Was this something that you know, let someone approach you, or like, what was the story behind all that? Well, I'll say this: the book is published by Marsha and me. Right. We went ahead and did it because we are real DIY people. Oh, it's an even I, more interesting story then. So you guys self-published it. We self-published it. We didn't want anybody telling me what to say, what not to say, that I, you know, I'm not a, a Harvard graduate. I write in Bronxies, you know, and I speak the way I speak, and the book should have been in my voice. And I didn't want anybody to change that. But on the other hand, the audio book, is being put out by uh, a publishing company called Blackstone. And right now it's being uh, made available by Audible or Amazon on the internet. It's available right now, pretty good price, by the way. And as I said earlier, I don't know if I did, but on October 22nd, 
the actual seven CD set physical audio book. It is coming out in stores for the first time across America because I never put my book in a store. It's only available on Amazon. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting because, uh, you know, for like the last better part of the year, people have been having to stay home anyway. So that's like, you know, Amazon's been uh, working overtime to deliver things to people. So that's actually kind of uh, kind of interesting. I'm losing you. Oh, you can can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, what I was saying though is that uh, for the better part of this year, no one's been able to leave their house. So uh, having it on Amazon right. has probably probably worked out for the better. You well, know? the book, the book keeps selling. God bless. Yeah. It keeps selling, and the audio book. I don't know how it's doing because it's too early for me to tell. They don't tell you for three months like how you did. And uh, then comes October 22nd, everything should come together, you know, between the physical book, the digital download book, which is out now, and all the other books which are out now. It's even out on ebook, believe it or not. Now, how were there any parallels between publishing this book and putting out records that you found? Like, did your uh, background in, in running a label help at all with putting no, this book project same, together? No, same thing. I just didn't do any print ads. I, I, I pretty much stuck to my Facebook uh, presence, which is 5,000 a friendship, you know, 5,000 a page. I have two pages. I won't have a third. So I have 10,000 friends there and another six, uh, 7,000 followers and plus uh, Instagram. So I figured between that and press that I did, I, I got enough of the word out. Yeah, these to days. To do what I needed to do. Yeah, these I don't days need to have a New York Times bestseller. Excuse me? No, these days with all the social media, that actually definitely short circuits the whole process, you know? Yeah, I just hit it hard. And uh, everybody, if you don't know I have a book out, you're not on this planet if you're on my Facebook. Outside of that, I'm sure people don't know still. Now, let me ask you a question about the audio book. Uh, you know, I got a little bit of experience with dialogue and editing and all this other stuff. And how, how was that process of recording this audio book? How did, how did you, how did you uh, find that experience to be? Well, it wasn't that easy. <laughs> yeah. it, it took me five days to four days, five to four days in the studio to actually record it because my voice only goes but so long. Yeah. And then it took X amount of days to uh, voice over the mistakes. You know, that was in the five days, I guess, too. And then you have to edit it and then you have to master it. The whole process was 10 days to do this book. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot involved in doing that stuff, man. It's, it's, uh, you know, some people think you just uh, press, press play and record and just uh, rip through the book. You know, there's a lot of steps, you know. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And uh, it wasn't like that at all, Mike. No. Yeah. All right. Well, 
Where can people uh, that aren't already friends with you on Facebook and all that? I mean, I know you have a website. Uh, are there any central, other central locations where people can find out information well, about everything? They could go to johnzazula.com. There's a website. Uh, it's J O N, not J O H N. And it's Zazula, Z A Z U L A. And uh, I am there. It's as up to date as I can keep it, but I have to keep changing it all the time. I have to make some new changes now, but it's pretty current. But there's lots of stuff there. There's even some free samples of the audiobook. And there's a link on that site which will take you to Amazon. If you hit that yes. store, you can go right off of the website. It send you to Amazon. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I, w I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Well, John, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate uh, spending time talking to me, and uh, it was a pleasure. And, uh, you know, good luck with uh, the book and the forthcoming CD release of the audio book. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, taking time out of your day. Hey, man. It was cool. Have good luck, all right? All right. Thanks a lot. Take care now, John. Take care. Bye. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, an official Gimme Metal podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. This show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.
Come on, we will. 